We'll be reading chapter 4 from the book of Jonah. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it grow up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad and because of the plant. And when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right from their left hand, and also much cattle. This is the reading of God's word. Good morning. I thought about saying good evening to I had it in my notes from yesterday, but I crossed it out. So <laughs> good morning. Today we get to conclude the book of Jonah. It's been a, a just wonderful journey to see uh, how God works and moves. And uh, we were privileged to have Jason share with us chapter one, where we saw a disobedient servant, Jonah, flee from God. Uh, in chapter two, Chris led us through the account of uh, Uh, Jonah being swallowed and and then vomited up on the beach after he uh, repented and committed to do what God asked him to do. And last week, Rob Moser led us through the account of uh, Jonah reluctantly going to Nineveh and to spread God's word there. And we saw the greatest uh, overcoming uh, of unbelief in all of Scripture, the greatest revival, you might say, It's been a journey of a faithful God and a faithless servant. It's been a journey seeing the mighty acts of God, but also seeing the sinful acts, the selfish acts of His servant. And as I've said, we we 
privilege to see the greatest act of redemption probably in all of God's Word in the uh, repentance of Nineveh. What, what I want us to focus on and begin to think about this morning is God's heart. I believe this book is completely and totally about the heart of God. And, and when we think about that, I always have to think of my own heart, and, and we're going to be challenged with that as well today. Uh, how responsive and sensitive am I to lost people? You know, and over the years, I've been involved in church for nearly 40 years now. Uh, in the church I led in Greeley, I don't know that I was always tuned in to do outreach, to be concerned for lost people. Uh, a lot of the time, I was too busy with leading the church to be concerned with evangelism. I don't know how that happened, but it did. It's just the sinful heart of man. There were times I uh, was fearful of rejection. There was times I was fearful of losing friendships over it. There were times that I felt ill-equipped. I remember we did an evangelism training, and the guy taught us how to share the bridge illustration, and we required us to use 20 memory verses to do it. I never used it because I couldn't remember 20 memory verses, so that wasn't a really profitable use of time. But, you know, we get busy with life, and uh, we do the things that we need to do. Uh, sometimes we just don't care about lost people. I confess that to you. A lot of my life I haven't thought about them. I haven't been concerned for them. You know, and the reality is we get lost or we get caught up in life. We're concerned for our kids and their well-being, our work, our, our jobs, our future, our pleasures, our trips, those kinds of things. And sometimes, often, the heart of God gets out of our field of vision or focus. And hopefully this book will bring that into focus for us today. Maybe you can relate with some of the th these things, fear of sharing, of feeling not very well equipped. Maybe you've uh, just been too busy with life and, and doing the things that you believe, and many of which are good, that, that uh, really uh, God uh, gives us the empowerment and, and the grace to go do. But sometimes we fail to see uh, the needs of the lost around us. And today I, I want uh, to elevate God's heart before us in this message, what it means to live without Jesus and what, what, uh, what is before those people. So really, we're going to do three things. First, we're going to look at Jonah's heart. Then we're going to look at God's heart. And then finally, we're going to question where are our hearts. So let's begin with Jonah's heart. Jonah was an angry evangelist. Uh, we see in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. What this follows is what we read, uh, the very last verse in chapter 3, where the people in Nineveh repented. And the Scripture says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. And this angered Jonah. We see the but, which is... God did this, but Jonah was exceedingly displeased. And the word for displeased here is he saw what God did as evil and, and as bad because he despised the Ninevites and the Assyrians so much. And understand, they were a principal enemy of Israel. Uh, they hated Israel. 
and they hated Israel's God. And so, so Jonah had, I think, a real fear like we do sometimes of, of reaching out to people. Uh, his fear was that when he went home, maybe, maybe the folks at home wouldn't be real happy that he was part of saving 120,000 Ninevites. So I could understand a little bit of his concern there, but, but it led him to really resent what God did and to become angry about it. And we see that in the text. And the anger here is, is to be burnt up, uh, be, to be so angry. The reality is he was judging the heart of God and the work of God when he did this. We read on more about his reaction in his heart in verse 2 through 3. It says there, he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. This is the depth and the anger in Jonah's heart. He wanted to die. He knew before he ever started down this road the heart of God and what God intended and purposed to do in Nineveh. And, and he really quotes a phenomenal passage in the Old Testament in Exodus 34, 6, uh, where it says, The Lord, the Lord our God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What Jonah is reminding us of through the words of the Scripture and through his interaction with God is God is a gracious God. That means we get from God what we don't deserve. He is a merciful God. We don't get from God what we do deserve. We deserve judgment, and, and we deserve uh, retribution and punishment. We've sung about that this morning of the glories and the wonder of God's grace and mercy. We're reminded that God's slow to anger in this passage. God doesn't want to bring judgment to people. You know, we, we see this in the New Testament in 2 Peter 3.9 where it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should repent. This is God's heart, that none would perish and all would come to salvation because God abounds in steadfast, faithful love. He so loved the world that what? He sent his only begotten son. And so that's the heart of God as contrasted with the heart of Jonah. As I, as I mentioned, Jonah saw the Ninevites not as God did, not as, as objects who needed grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so he was angry. You know, earlier in chapter 2, two, he was pleading with God to live for God's salvation, for God's deliverance. And now we see him wishing to die because God had granted that to the Ninevites. There in chapter 2 of, of Jonah he said, I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. So we see this intense, uh, almost disgust in Jonah toward these people and toward the working of God. Let's read on in verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. What we see Jonah do is not answer this question of God. God asked this question in a way that demanded an answer in the affirmative. 
yes, I don't do right to be angry. But Jonah rejected that, and he went out to sulk on the hill by the city to watch what would happen. Well, what, what God was doing here, and this is so important for us to see, is God was graciously and mercifully dealing with Jonah in his compassion. He was seeking to bring Jonah to a place where he would realize the hardness in his own heart. God wanted Jonah to see that there are people that need Jesus. They need salvation, and he was so gentle with Jonah. He wanted Jonah to come to this place where he would evaluate his own heart. It's a lot better to ask people questions than to judge them or condemn them, and that's exactly how God related to Jonah. He asked him this question because he wanted Jonah to come to a place where Jonah would see as God sees people, and he would think about people in the way God thinks about people, and he would live and love people the way God lives and loves people. God uses this technique in the Bible in quite a few places. In the garden with Adam and Eve, uh, God asked them four questions about their disobedience to get them to seek and understand their own hearts. Where are you, he said? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? What is this that you've done? In chapter 3 of Genesis, he calls out Cain after he murdered his brother, and, and he said, what have you done? Where is Abel, your brother? Uh, in uh, 1 Kings 19, he, he questions Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Jesus used this approach with Judas, and he said to Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And then to Peter, Jesus three times in the midst of his impulsive servant said, Peter, do you love me? three times to get Peter to examine his heart. And God used this technique through Jesus with Saul as he uh, brought this moment of, of incredible witness to him on the road to Damascus. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? All of this was intended to bring the heart of God's people to see God's heart. And so, understand that's what's in view here. God wanted Jonah to examine his heart and to see if his heart was like God's heart. God is so gracious in this way and how he dealt with Jonah. He wanted Jonah to understand God is in the salvation business. He wants to save people. You know, we, we know this. That's why he sent Jesus into our world. He wanted Jonah to see that. That's why God works in the way he does in our world. But what do we see Jonah do, full of anger, go out, build a little booth for himself to bring him some protection, and sit and watch what's going to happen to Nineveh? We really don't know why he was there. We, we could make some assumptions. Perhaps he thought God would relent because they were such evil people and really do bring judgment on them after all. Or he thought maybe they'd fall back into sin and God would go ahead and judge them anyway. So, but beyond that, he was sitting out there sulking, in a sense. So I want to see now Jonah's heart. Let's turn and look at God's heart. The first thing God does in verse 5, let me read it. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from the dis his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. These are important words, appointed, appointed, appointed a worm 
that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked again that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. What we see here is out of the heart of God, he was seeking to bring discipline to Jonah because he loved Jonah, and he wanted Jonah's heart to change. And so he goes through this little uh, uh, kind of encounter with Jonah to show him in a sinful, fleshly way how he was relating to life and to God. So what do we see? God's attempted Time to, to reason with Jonah, to seek if he could get Jonah to come to the place where, we, where he would examine his heart. So he used a fleshly comfort from this world to help him understand the realities of the souls of people and the eternality of, of people who live and die without God and their punishment. So it says God appointed this plant and it gave shade to Jonah. It brought this over his head. And again, this is God's compassion to bring him to, to under discipline so that he might see God's heart. And this probably was a plant about 12 feet high with great big leaves that provided a ton of uh, shade for him. And you talk, you think about the, the fish being miraculous. Well, this plant to grow that big overnight is just as miraculous. And so God appointed it. It popped up overnight and provided this for Jonah. And the text tells us what a change in Jonah's heart when his physical temporal circumstances changed. He was exceedingly glad now instead of being angry with God. He uh, put his own comfort over the lives of lost people who are dying without Christ. Next, it says that God appointed a worm that destroyed the plant and it brought the joy of the prophet to an end. The following day, he appointed a scorching east wind to bring uh, just this, this harshness to Jonah and, and to show him what maybe hell is like and what suffering apart from God would be like. As God intervened with a storm and a fish, here he intervenes with a worm and, and with a wind. God is God over all, over the seas and the land, and he's revealing through these powers his love for people and seeking to bring Jonah to see his own heart. Let's go on in the text. It says in verse 9, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and so much cattle. Again, God brings this verbal confrontation to Jonah to examine his own heart about temporal things and his own comfort as opposed to the reality of eternal beings who face the probability and the reality of living uh, apart from God in eternal suffering. And so he brings this before Jonah uh, through this uh, question. And again, it demands the same kind of answer. Yes, I'm not right to be angry. And so he lays that before him to set the stage for Jonah to struggle with his heart. Am I more concerned with my temporal issues, those here on earth, or am I more concerned with the eternal issues that shape the value and the heart of God? And so with the plant gone, God wanted 
Jonah to search his heart, to understand it. I, I, I can't overemphasize the patience and the compassion and, and the gentleness with which God dealt with Jonah. And I want you and I want me to understand that's how God deals with us uh, in this area. He wants to be, compa- he is compassionate and gentle with us, but he also wants us like Jonah to examine our hearts and to come to that place where we see people the same way he sees people. They're eternal, and there are eternal consequences for living in this world without Christ. And to see the difference between our temporal life and the eternal destiny of people who live without Christ. And, and so, let's just take a minute and think about the heart. There's three passages I want you to consider here. Understand and know that God knows our hearts unequivocally. He knows our hearts. We know this from the encounter Samuel had with Jesse and and the sons of Jesse as he was sent to find David and anoint him as the future king of Israel. When God did that, he said this to Samuel, for the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord looks, (coughs) excuse me, as man looks on the outward appearances, but The Lord looks on the heart. Understand that. God sees our hearts. He knows what matters to us. We see in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, this as well. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose, listen to this carefully, the purposes of the heart. Our desires, our motivations, the things that motivate and drive our heart to act are known to God. And they should come under the authority and power and shaping of the living God. We we learn that in Ephesians 6, not by the way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. That's why I believe this book is all about the heart. And God's heart was for lost people, and His heart was for Nineveh. 120,000 people, it says, who didn't know the right hand from the left. What, what that means is, is they were like children, disobedient and doing whatever, whatever their fleshly desires led them to do. They were a wicked, violent people. And God wanted to bring them to a place where they lived under the fullness of His blessing. And Jonah was confronted with that. Does God not have the right to be pity, to show pity to those who are lost? And and pity simply means to look on those with trouble with compassion. And he challenged Jonah, you do that with a plant that means nothing. I do it with people who live for eternity, either under my blessing or under my punishment. The book ends with no response from Jonah, we're we're left to not know where he went, how his heart was changed. And so the question isn't, though I think, what happened to Jonah? The question is, how does God's heart and the message of Jonah impact you and I and our hearts? So we're going to talk about that in a moment, but before we do that, I I, want to just take you through something that's incredible uh, in this passage. Before I do that, I I forgot to do this last night. I want to tell you about a tree. I call it my Jonah tree. Years ago, we lived in the country. We had a track there, and uh, we came to a time where we wanted to landscape it, and Jolene had bought some little one-foot blue spruce trees from the Forest Service years before, and they'd grown up, and they were nice, and the landscaper came in, and he put this beautiful tree at the entrance of our driveway, 
And it grew, and he said, in order to keep these alive, they were stakes, they wouldn't fall over. And, and he said, you need to water the needles on these blue spruce twice a day. All summer long, we're out there watering needles on these blue spruce trees. And this went on for a couple of years, and I'm preaching through Jonah years ago, and I get a call from Jolene. She says, honey, we had this horrible wind, and it blew over our beautiful spruce tree in the driveway. So I drive home. I couldn't believe it. Here's this 30-foot blue spruce tree laying in the road. And, and I, I wept. <laughs> All of the effort and, and, and care we put into that plant, and there it is laying on the road. And God just, man, he caught me up short. You're more concerned with that tree, that plant, than you are with people. Oh, what a lesson for me. But here's the heart of God. I want us to see this. So we're just going to zip through chapters 1 through 4 and look at all the ways God was active in showing Jonah and showing us his heart. Chapter 1, God's missional word came to Jonah. Verse 1, God sent Jonah with the word go. God saw the wickedness of the lost. God saw Jonah run away. God pursued Jonah to bring him to repentance and to go. God sent a great wind and mighty tempest to warn Jonah and others. Verse 4, God caused the lot to fall to Jonah. God of heaven made the sea and the land and by implication controlled the storm. God convicted the hearts of unbelievers to understand Jonah was running from him. God heard the cries of the unbelieving sailors pleading with him to not destroy them. Don't hold us accountable. You're sovereign. God claimed the sea. Excuse me, God calmed the sea, and men, the men feared and sacrificed and made vows to the Lord. And God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And understand, through this time, it isn't stated, but God was drawing the hearts of these sailors to himself. Nobody comes to the Lord apart from the work of the Spirit. That's in red. God was sought and mentioned 12 times in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. God's heart, God heard and answered Jonah, verse 2. God cast Jonah into the deep. God's flood surrounded Jonah. God's waves and billows passed over Jonah. God brought Jonah's life up from the pit. God prompted Jonah's affirmation, salvation belongs to the Lord, our sermon title. God spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Chapter 3, God's word came to Jonah a second time. God commanded Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh. God gave Jonah the message to speak, the words directed God's word directed Jonah to go to Nineveh. God's message was believed by the Ninevites. God's word reached the king of Nineveh, who then urged all to fast and call mightily to God and to turn from their evil and violent ways. God's message impacted the king of Nineveh to encourage the people to hope God would relent and be compassionate on Nineveh. God saw their repentance and he had compassion on them and he did not bring destruction. The Spirit of God, again, did a deep work in the lives of those people, 120 to however many there were there. Verse 4, God heard Jonah's prayer and declaration about God, His grace, mercy, steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. In verses 2 and 3, God answered Jonah's prayer with, quest, with a question. God appointed a vine or a plant and made it grow to ease Jonah's discomfort. God appointed a worm that chewed up the plant, the vine, causing it to wither and bring discomfort to Jonah. God appointed a scorching east wind and blazing sun to beat down on Jonah's head. God questioned Jonah about his anger concerning the vine. God challenged Jonah's concern about the vine and lack of concern for Nineveh. God asked Jonah if he should not be concerned over the great city. 
What else we see here is God knew Jonah's heart. And the incredible thing is God continued to use his disobedient servant. That's encouragement for us. And by way of application, I just think this is a book that calls us to see the incredible work of our almighty missional God who so loves this world and wants to see people come to faith. We know that for sure from Jesus' life, but I don't know that there is a passage or account in the Old Testament that shows the missional heart of God more powerfully than Jonah, as we've just seen. It should impact us. It should impact us deeply. This is powerful stuff. And I think it should call us to ask ourselves, are we people who are growing to have God's heart toward the lost? Would our hearts please Him? Are we growing so that our hearts are becoming more like His heart? Are the things in this world that matter to God the things that matter to us? Are we as concerned about God's hope and purpose and agenda for lives in this world as we are for our own agendas, our own plans, our own purposes for our lives? And I don't preach this to make you feel guilty. God didn't want Jonah to feel guilty. What he wanted him to do was change, to see his heart and to be impacted by his heart. That's what God wanted. And, and for Jonah to see the ultimate priority of his life should be concerned for people who live without Jesus. Because there is an eternity coming for us and for those who die without Christ, we'll see in a moment. So, so my challenge is, is, is go before God. Ask these questions of yourself. Where is your heart? I, I've been doing that through this series. My heart isn't where it needs to be. I want to grow more in this and give more of what life I have left to this but some questions just practically that might help you is when you hang out with or encounter people in your sphere of influence, do you think about, I wonder if they even know the Lord? Or if you know them on a regular basis, do you know where they stand with Christ? Have you ever asked questions about that? Do they know you're a follower of Jesus? And there's ways to let them in on that just by talking about church or small groups or things happening here. You don't have to preach the gospel to them and bang, beat them over the head with the Bible. Just let them know you're a follower of God and you love Him and that He loves you. To, to live and, and work and serve under the authority of the Lord Jesus. He, is, he has all authority on heaven and earth and we serve and live under Him uh, are we living and working under the power of the Spirit who comes to make us witnesses for Jesus? Are we willing to spend time reading one of the Gospels with an unbeliever? Uh, you talk about fruit. Let the Word of God lead them to Jesus. You don't, need, you don't need 20 verses and four spiritual laws. What you need is the Word of God and allow it to do a work in their life. Here's some verses. These are on the website. Uh, maybe you can take them, memorize them, ponder them, think about them. They might contribute to practically maybe living out this message a bit more. Understand God's heart. 2 Peter 3.9. <clears throat> the Lord is not slow in uh, fulfilling His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's heart. But understand there's a fate that comes to those who die without Christ. 
in Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Understand, God is working in the hearts and lives of people uh, right now today. Jesus said this to His disciples in Matthew 9. He said, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest field. What I want you to see here is God is working right now in the hearts of people, bringing conviction and, and bringing an awareness to them of their needs, their dissatisfaction with this life. Uh, in uh, John 16, we read these words, Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is the important part, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of God is operating in that way in our world today, bringing conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So it isn't like we got to go do all the work. God's doing all the work. We just go pick the fruit, in a sense. <clears throat> and so he tells us about that. And then Jesus reminds us in the Great Commission that <clears throat> we operate in this under his authority. Jesus said to them in Matthew 8, 28, 18, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth. No person on this planet has authority like the living God. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the promise of Jesus. We operate as we go out to impact people's lives with the gospel. We're doing it under His authority, which is the supreme authority in the universe, and He's with us. And lastly, the promise of the Spirit, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the, wor the, the, the world. Did you hear that? He will give us power to be His witnesses. Consider those. Pray over those. Memorize them if you want. And allow God to use those truths to challenge and perhaps change your heart. Let me pray. Father, so grateful for Your Word and the picture of Jonah uh, and his sinfulness, but the picture of Your power and Your passion and Your desire to reach lost people. God, change us, Lord. Help us to see as you see. Help us to think as you think. Help us, Father, to live in love as you live in love, Father. Allow these verses to cultivate the passion of our hearts, the values, the purposes of our hearts, that we might grow more and more day by day in your gracious, gentle, nurturing love to have more of a heart like God. We thank you and praise you, Father, for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.